25,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, on the now-abandoned planet of Tython. Once teeming with life, civilization, and the Force, this planet was the birthplace of the Jedi and the setting of a story for the ages. It was an era when hyperspace travel was in its infancy and few species had been able to travel beyond their native star systems. This was especially true for the people of the Tython system, which was already bur a burgeoning society in its own right. It contained all the trappings of what you would see only in an advanced civilization. Interplanetary commerce, science, technology, civil institutions, and a broad range of sentient species. One thing they lacked, however, was hyperspace travel. This is where the Rakata Infinite Empire enters the story. Bent on galactic conquest and possessed by the dark side, the Rakata are drawn to the Tython system because of the unusually strong presence of the Force on the planet of Tython which shares the system's namesake. When the Rakata arrived, they sent a reconnaissance ship to the planet, and through a series of unfortunate events, there was a crash landing. This crash and the combination of the dark side presence that accompanied the pilot of the ship seemed to spark a very dangerous, planet-threatening force storm. It was this storm along with the arrival of the Infinite Empire, which sparked what would later be dubbed the Force Wars. Not to be confused with the Great Force Wars, which occurred much later. During this era, more than 700 years before the Galactic Republic would be established, there existed a precursor to the Jedi, called the Jedi-E. Though they shared some similarities to the Jedi Order, they did have some distinct characteristics that separated them. The primary one being their Trinitarian view of the Force. They saw the Force as having three integral characteristics, which made it whole, and without one, it was perverted. The first characteristic was Ashla, which means light. The second was Bogan, which means dark. And the third was Bendu, which means balance. In fact, the planet of Tython had two moons named after these concepts, Ashla and Bogan, which they viewed as symbolic representations of the nature of the Force. 
The Jedi seem to have derived their doctrines based on observations of the natural world. As the Force-rich Tython would be thrown into vicious storms whenever the Force was thrown out of balance. Maintaining equilibrium between the light and the dark side was a matter of life and death. Observing the world around them, they saw two moons in the one sky, light, Ashla, and dark, Bogan, and they understood the dual aspects to the Force, light and dark. The light defined the dark as the dark did the light. When balance was not maintained, Tython reacted to the imbalance with severe storms and quakes. And so the travelers defined themselves, ever seeking a balance. They became the Jedi, a Daibendu term meaning mystic center. Only through the harmony of balance could the Jedi maintain a peaceful world. Quote from Jedi Temple Master Ketu. One cannot fully appreciate the history of the Republic or the Jedi Order without understanding the context and the people who set in motion a series of events which would alter the fate of countless species and civilizations. It is in the backdrop of a pre-hyperspace civilization that we are introduced to a whole new cast of characters, both heroes, villains, and everything in between who would become instrumental in shaping the course of an entire galaxy for millennia to come. Zesh, the Force Hound. The Infinite Empire though not the first to use slave labor, definitely turned it into an art form. Their favorite type of slaves were force adepts who could be taught to wield the dark side in the service of the empire. The Rakata called these adepts hounds, and they would be employed to carry out bodyguard duties, assassinations, spying, scouting, and an array of other military operations. Among the top tier of these hounds was a human male by the name of Zesh. This particular hound had a dark features and was branded with his name on his face. He had a long and storied career in the service of the Rakadin Praetor, Tulkar, whom he helped to discover and conquer a myriad of small-scale civilizations across the galaxy. Zesh's friend and fellow force hound, Trill, was exceptionally gifted at using the Force to discover these planets, and she is credited with the discovery of the planet Tython for the Infinite Empire. Once Tulkar had arrived at the Jedi homeworld with his hound, Zesh, was approached by another Praetor, Skalnas, and was turned into his unwilling ally, helping Skalnas to consolidate his power and position within the Empire. Zesh managed to sabotage Tulkar's ship, the Devourer, and demolish it above the skies of Tython, igniting a powerful force storm and killing his master, 
the hound himself just barely escaping to the surface in an escape pod. Once he had landed, he was confronted by a number of Jedi, who eventually subdued him and placed him under arrest on the moon of Bogan, so that he could meditate upon the opposite moon Ashla to see the error of his dark ways. Here he encounters the mad Dagon Locke, a wayward Jedi knight and who is also banished to the moon and is convinced by Dagon to help him construct a force saber, a precursor to the lightsaber designed by the Rakata, which can only be activated through the force. Eventually, Zesh and Dagon leave the planet and join the fight against the Infinite Empire, where Zesh ultimately kills Skelnas, drives the Rakata out of the Tython system, and reveals his true name, Tau, which means soul. Planet Finder. Prior to the discovery of Tython, the once friend turned rival of Zesh, Trill was a human force hound in the service of Skalnas. Though she was not the skilled fighter that Zesh was, her ability to reach out and find force rich planets made her an invaluable asset to the Infinite Empire. When it was discovered that Zesh could not be found after the destruction of the Devourer, Trill was commissioned by Skalnas to find him on Tython. While searching, she happened to rescue a Jedi in the Jaws of Death, who went by the name of Seknos Wrath. Certain to hide her identity from the Jedi, she posed as a thief and a nobody, hoping no one would ascertain her true identity. She joins with Seknos and his companions in their hunt for Zesh, eventually finding him and informing the Rakata that he is indeed still alive. During the year-long invasion of the Tython system, Trill remains planetside as an informant for the Infinite Empire, eventually betraying her Jedi allies and turning Zesh over to Skalnas. After returning to her Praetor, she was enlisted to lead an army back to the planet, where she had a confrontation with her former friend, Seknos Wrath, and was slain by his hand. Dagon Locke, the Mad. He was the charismatic, if not eccentric, Jedi Master who had a pivotal role in ending the Despot War. His actions in the war made him something of a folk hero. He was celebrated and revered by Tythonian society, but this also made him prideful. 
This overconfidence led Dagon to explore the depths of what was called the chasm on the surface of Tython. This large cave system was known to have intense force activity and was generally avoided for fear of the drastic effects it would have on those who entered. With his best friend, fellow Jedi Hawk Ryo, he descended into the chasm where they would both share a vision of the coming onslaught of galactic foreigners armed with fire blades decimating the armies of Tython. Ryo, however, snapped out of his trance and pulled he and Locke out of the chasm, but the hero of the Despot War was fundamentally changed by his vision and driven mad. When the two had reported to the Council a series of events, Dagon warned them of the vision he had and that an enemy was on its way to their system and would bring Armageddon. When he looked to Ryo to confirm the vision, his closest friend lied and said he had no such vision, pushing Locke further into the dark side and insanity. Because of this, he was banished to Bogan, so that he could meditate on Ashla and regain his balance in the Force, but to no avail. After years of banishment on the moon, he was introduced to Zesh, where they both forged an alliance, and together escaped the moon and began to raise an underground resistance to the Rakata as well as build an arsenal of Force Sabers. Locke's victories were short-lived, however, when he was eventually recaptured and returned to Bogan, but that would not last long, as the Jedi were caught off guard by the arrival of the Infinite Empire, and thus released Locke to serve as a general in the army. This decision would turn out to be the right one. As crazy as Locke was, he was the perfect person to lead the fight against the onslaught of the Rakata, and was eventually successful in driving them out of the system. Shay Coda, the Ranger. When a ranger comes calling, trouble quickly follows. Quote, Trey Sana. After becoming an orphan at the final battle of the Despot War, where both her parents were slain, Shay Koda would commit her life and service to the Jedi Order. She started as a Padawan, became a journeyer, and finally a ranger, carrying out missions for the Order and being a public face of the Jedi. Though she was mostly human, she is descended from the people of Dathomir and learned the ways of the Force under Master Quan Zhang at the Temple of Science, called Anil Kesh. Here, Shay and her master designed a pet Rancor dragon through the use of Force alchemy, a practice that would later be banned by the Jedi Order. Koda was one of the rangers who was commissioned to investigate the crash on Tython in an attempt to discover the cause of violent force storms on the surface. Here, she and her companions first found Zesh, and during the violent encounter, ended up having their force swords cut to shreds by the Hound's superior force saber. Though their first encounter was less than amiable, Zesh and Koda would eventually build a romantic relationship, and she was instrumental in keeping Zesh 
from being entirely consumed by the dark side. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon. So if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Jordan. And this is Christian. Welcome back to the Star Lords podcast, everyone. Today, we are talking about the Jedi Order and the Force Wars. Um... I also just want to remind everyone, we actually have broached this topic in the past uh, on a Patreon-exclusive episode where we review uh, the Dawn of the Jedi comic book series. So if you want to listen to that, become a patron <laughs> and you will uh, uh, get to hear kind of the the main plot points of, of the story. But we'll, we'll also get into that here. Um but anyways, uh, as you heard, we've already sort of covered some of the um, the main, the I think the most important characters in the story, and also these characters are sort of like explain a little bit how they possibly led to sort of the establishment of the Jedi Order and the Republic and stuff like that. But um, uh, yeah, we I but I also wanted to make some some. Uh, honorable mentions of some characters we didn't do a deep profile of uh the first one being Seknos wrath uh and he is actually from the sith sith species uh and he was a jedi journeyer who uh kills trill but he ultimately succumbs to the dark side which actually seems to happen to a lot of the jedi in uh in dawn of the jedi um and then 
uh, our next honorable mention is Hawk Ryo, the male Twi'lek who was Dagon Locke's best friend who betrays him after lying to the Jedi Council and sealing Locke out. Yeah. Uh, again, another... Uh, he's a pretty important um, character in this story and also sort of ensures that Dagon Locke is like fully committed to the dark side. Um, however, <laughs> in the end, uh, I will say what's kind of interesting is that once the infinite empire actually invades the Tython system, the Jedi sort of like are scrambling and they don't know what to do. So they, they release Locke out of prison and then they start believing him in his visions because they were all confirmed. Right. And so they make him like the leader of the army. And actually one thing a lot of people might miss when reading the story, it seems like Zesh is sort of the, the main hero, the hero's journey, right? The transformation, all that. And then Dagon Locke is almost like the guide in the hero's journey. However, in a weird way, it's almost inverse because Dagon Locke actually saves the system. Like, yeah, he's the primary hero. Yeah, he, he actually leads the the fight against um against the Rakata Infinite Empire, and but he's he becomes like a total he he becomes totally committed to the dark side, and yeah. and is like making dark side disciples, right? And uh, but the you have to remember that like the Jedi don't have the same conceptions of like the dark side and the light side that we have. They, they believe the dark side can be used as like a tool, but it should always be brought back into balance. balance, Right. And that's like their big thing. Well, I was just going to say like the whole purpose of this book almost breaks the reader's conceptions of light and dark because you have Hawk Ryo who, yeah, is, is, a Jedi, a Jedi in your yeah. mind, right? He's supposed to be light side and acting good, right? But he throws his buddy under the bus and lies, right? Yeah. So that's getting a little dirt on the Jedi and then making a Sith a hero puts a little, yeah, like yeah. goodness <laughs> on the Sith, right? Yeah. So even in the throughout the story, they're kind of blurring those lines of absolutely like, Sith aren't all bad and Jedi aren't all good, yeah. Right. I, I, and that I do think that's kind of what is. I think like I think I said this when we reviewed the the comic books as well like I think it conceptually it's actually a super interesting book you know I I I don't care much for a lot of the characters or even the story they don't make you like that personally invested yeah. in, in their personal stories and lives as characters they become almost like icons for like a narrative yeah yeah, yeah. exactly but I, in in some ways, this is the book is almost like meant to be mythological. I think that because it's so old and it's it's so different from the Star Wars that we know and like the modern era of Star Wars that it's like, and that is you when you are reading the book, even with like the aesthetic to yeah to you know the conception certain concepts like it is very you don't feel like you're in the same era as, um, as you know, the battle of Yavin or whatever. Yeah. And even, even when they're not like aliens that you immediately identify, like, Oh yeah, that's a Twi'lek or that's a Rancor even. And, and even the Rakata that you're like, Oh yeah, I'm still in star Wars. Sometimes you even, 
Yeah. You forget a little bit, just it's so different. Totally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, as a side note, before I get into the next honorable mention here, um, I do think Dagon Locke is the most interesting character uh, for a lot of ways, for a lot of reasons in, in this book. And um, I think... I. I don't know, but it seems like the uh, it's the the writers are sort of hinting at that the reason the Jedi Order was started like a few hundred years later is because the dark side is so hard to contain. So they almost like gave up on this concept of balance and were like, no, we can't have any dark side whatsoever because it, it it's so like so many people especially during war and and like traumatic events and stuff they become so tainted by the dark side you know and it's uh so you have to commit to be fully dark on the light side. on the light side to, to counter resist. The... yeah to re- you can't have balance like it's a i think that's kind of where the jedi order almost started and uh i don't necessarily blame them Okay, the next honorable mention is Tasha Ryo, and uh, she's a, a Twi'lek female. She's the niece of Hawk Ryo. Um, and the Ryo clan in the Tython system, it, they're actually like a, a notable family as well. Uh, most of them are like Force adepts, and um, they're all involved in the Despot War. And just as a side note as well, the, the Despot War is sort of a... a um, it sort of sets the stage for the culture of the Tython system because it was this huge like in, internal civil war uh, that occurred. And that's kind of how like a lot of these characters came to prominence and especially guys Dagon. like Dagon Locke and, yeah. and Hawk Ryo because uh, it was through this despot war. It, it was basically like a on one of the planets. I can't remember what it was called, but it was this Twi'lek warlord. She... She became super powerful and caused a civil war. Um, anyways, Tasha Ryo, uh, she became a Jedi seer, uh, and she would activate the Thoyor, uh, which would turn the tide of the war, though it would cost her her life. And um, so the Thoyor are like these ships. Giant pyramids. Yeah, giant pyramid type ships. They collected Su- species from all across the galaxy and seeded them all into Tython. Yeah, exactly. And that that's how Tython is like such a multicultural system is because th- there was, um, uh, we'll call it a, a caravan of migrants, <laughs> uh, uh, bringing them all to the Tython system. But really it was like collecting, I believe, people uh, yeah adapted to the, in the force and bringing them to the um uh the tython system and tython itself was just so rich in the force like uniquely rich in the force yeah. right so it's it's and the thoyor is like you know like uh the what the rakata infinite empire is to knights of the old republic is what the thoyor is to the Rakata <laughs> infinite yeah. like it's very old we don't know if it's hundreds of thousands of years old or millions of years old there's there's no mention of where the species or who built them there was a species the qua that had like used them and built infinity gates but even the qua didn't know where they came where from. the thoyor came from yeah. yeah they just know that there's like 
you can sense the force off of them, right? So yeah. and they like, yeah. So they'd show up on these random planets. You have very primitive societies, and then you know, you being a force sensitive are just like drawn to it. And yeah. You board it, and then it just takes off and takes you to Tython. Yeah, it's it's super. I I kind of love it though. Like it's so mysterious. Very mysterious. Yeah. You know, and and you have so many questions about what it is. Um, okay, the next major character was uh, Tool Car. And he was uh, one of the major villains. He's a Rakatan Praetor and master of Zesh and led the initial invasion on Tython, uh, though he would meet his demise there as well. And um, yeah, he's one of the the primary antagonists, antagonists at least in the first half. But he, he, he dies off pretty quick. Yeah, he dies off probably halfway through, yeah. if I remember correctly. Um, but uh yeah, you want to read the next one here? Yeah. Uh, next up is Skelnas, the other Rakadan Praetor who continues the siege of Tython after the death of Tulkar, but like Tulkar, would be killed by Zesh. Yeah, and um, Skelnas is, is actually interesting because he's very like Machiavellian and he's also he's also very depraved from what I've read about him. Uh, and he really is willing to go to any length to see his power and um, is kind of sadistic. Uh, uh, the, the thing about the Rakata as well is for some reason, this particular species is like very, um, uh, what do you call it? They're, they're very uh, vulnerable to the dark side. Unlike other species, it's very hard for them not to to um, give themselves to the dark side. So the entire species is almost exclusively dark side users. Like I don't think there is any light side user. Yeah, and yeah. light side. And it does seem that the Rakata, prior to their discovery of the Force, um, and a little bit. Of, We'll do a, an episode on them later, but a little bit about their history. <clears throat> they were sort of introduced to the forest by this this species I mentioned before, the Qua. Um, but when the Qua discovered them, they were very primitive and they were very barbaric and like engaged, yeah, engaged in cannibalism and, <clears throat> you know, like a very, very much like a warrior society. And so they're very, very vicious. And they just, the, I think the species just hadn't like advanced enough to become more enlightened when they were found. And so when they were introduced to the force and all this new technology, they like, they just completely perverted it, right? And became yeah. a very um, violent species and, and <clears throat> our superpower. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're very bent on like conquering the galaxy and had like, delusions of grandeur right yeah and from the quas perspective like not to get too far into the raccoon and the qua but yeah. like probably thinking they're like bestowing them a gift that will elevate them and maybe right. they'll leave behind their violent ways if they just learned about the connectedness of all life <laughs> yeah 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 no very naive <laughs> yeah and that's a, is the interesting thing is like the ricotta are actually it seems the way they're presented is they're they're like uh, totally depraved, you know, like they're they're irredeemable. They're like a completely irredeemable species. Yeah, they're almost and like they, orcs. Like, they almost yeah. need to be nuked back to the Stone Age. <laughs> I Which, know it's like incidentally, <laughs> is what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, you're they're almost 
you know, you're doing the galaxy a favor <laughs> if you if you rid rid it of this scourge. You know, they're just, and I think they would even they would even make uh, you know characters like Palpatine a little queasy with some <laughs> of their practices. How, yeah, you know, um, they yeah they really were just completely debased. So, um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, Let's talk about the Jedi ranks. A little yeah, bit. the Jedi ranks. Um, so again, you, you kind of see this as foreshadowing the Jedi ranks in a lot of ways, but there there are some differences. <clears throat> um, and you got to remember that this is like kind of a history, the a pre Jedi history, and and the the lineage of where the Jedi come from. It's the Jedi. Uh, so like the Jedi, they had a Padawan, and you know. Usually children, <clears throat> sometimes even teenagers. Doesn't even seem, young adults can be Padawans. Yeah, I th- in the Jedi, they weren't as strict as the Jedi were about the, their yeah, Padawans. Again, being the inception of the Jedi, yeah. Jedi they're not as... Uh, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, the next rank was a journeyer. So when you advance from like the rank of Padawan, they would... Uh, you would have to basically go on a pilgrim a pilgrimage to all the nine temples of the Tython of the planet of Tython, uh, and uh, allegedly it's like a pretty it's actually a pretty dangerous journey. Yeah, journey. it's like arduous. Like yeah, you're going through all kinds of terrain to get to each temple, and and like the four storms, and also the creatures that like live, live in these Tython, caves. Yeah, yeah it it's uh, actually quite dangerous. So it is quite a trial. Um, yeah, but it. It's I don't know. It almost reminds me of like uh, Mormons or something who have to do their two year mission. You know oh, yeah. that it, there's this like initiation mission they have to go yeah. through. I was thinking more like a pilgrimage to Mecca. But it, yeah, no, it's yeah. Sim, it's similar. There's sort of those religious overtones to it, yeah. right? That it's you're doing a pilgrimage. A lot of like I mean vision quests. A lot of religions. Yeah, have. exactly. Uh, but once you complete uh, your journey, the great journey, they call it. Um, they, they then, you then get promoted to the rank of ranger, uh, and you carry out tasks for the Jedi order. You're kind of the face of the Jedi, the public face of the Jedi to other planets in the system. And also remember the Jedi order, it's like, it's such a much smaller scale than the Jedi. Yeah, they're not intergalactic because there's yeah. no intergalactic a, travel. It's yeah. interplanetary only. It's one single system with a few planets. And and so, I mean, there's like billions of people on these planets, right? Yeah, but, they're still full-functioning societies. Yeah, exactly. But, but they're very isolated from everywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's not like they're gallivanting around the galaxy, right? Yeah. But but um, <clears throat> anyways... The, the, they're, they would be very similar. Uh, a ranger would be very similar to like a Jedi Knight. Yeah, just completing missions, peacekeeping, yeah. whatever the order needs you to do. You yeah, exactly. You go and quest. Exactly. Um, the next uh, rank was a uh, Jedi Master. Um, a Jedi would begin focusing on discipline, say science, alchemy, healing, or the arts. And if they became skilled and prolific enough in a particular discipline, they would then be promoted to master. So th- that's kind of the that that's kind of not everyone would become a master. Obviously, like a lot of people would just stay in the ranger rank. But if you uh, masters were like very highly specialized in their 
in their field of expertise, right? So yeah, and another interesting kind of observation on that is like, and departure from the Jedi Order is like, yeah, like science. You can be like a yeah, yeah, a scientist, and like that's your focus, and that makes you a master rather than like mastering just the Force. Like right, you actually have a specialization. Yeah, and that was a big thing. Also, every one of the temples, which by the way had like either a Thoyor under it or floating above it, just mysteriously, and and it just but there. they were seen as like holy sites. Right? Yeah, this, so, these things dropped us off here. Yeah, they obviously mean something. Yeah, yeah. So the Thoyor uh, or the each temple was sort of like known as a center for science or center for healing or yeah Yeah. each temple would have its own specialization yeah exactly and that brings us to the the final rank which is temple master so the unlike um um other unlike the jedi order there isn't like a grand master if i singular person yeah, yeah if i remember correctly it's like a council of temple masters which is one for each temple so and it's like a lifetime appointment right and uh, once you die, then a new master uh, will temple master is, is yeah is selected. But um, uh, yeah, and and again they would they would have the skill corresponding with the temple that they're at, yeah. right? So that those are the ranks. I thought it was kind of interesting how they the structure of the Jedi. Um, Probably the majority of Jedi are just rangers, right? Yeah, that's kind of the most common. That and that the, the people would mostly meet only Jedi rangers because one, if you're not a force sensitive, you're not even allowed on the planet Tython uh, because because of the force storms. They like you have to have some force proficiency in order to be able to handle the force storms. So it, it's kind of interesting. Deadly you know, to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah like it, if you're not skilled in the force at all, you're not even allowed on the planet. Um, and and so like the Padawans are all training on Tython. So you'd never meet them. Yeah, you'd yeah. never meet a Padawan or a, journey, a journeyer is doing their great journey on the planet. And then the master is doing all their studying and their... At uh, the temple. Yeah, their yeah. disciplines at the temple. So the really the only... Uh, yeah the only interaction with the jedi is with the rangers because they're the ones that go out to all the going off world yeah yeah. um uh yeah anyways uh on to the jedi code do you want to spit it for me (laughs) let me lay it down yeah there is no ignorance there is knowledge there is no fear there is power I am the heart of the force. I am the revealing fire of light. I am the mystery of darkness. In balance with chaos and harmony, immortal in the force. Yeah, that's the Jedi code. And for our listeners that are familiar with the Sith code and yeah. the Jedi code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of combining them. The two. Yeah. yeah. I, I Very like subtle. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like it though. Like, yeah, they made it sound in a way because you truly do have these very opposing views, the Jedi and the Sith, and yeah. even their codes are literally worded to be almost opposite of each other. Yeah, and they still managed to make a unified religious text out of even if it's a you know this poem. Yeah, uh, it still it makes sense, and it yeah. makes sense for for the Jedi the way they see things and the way things are to them. Um, 
yeah, like, yeah, you are immortal in the force, right? It might not be your reason for existing like the Sith, but it is a reality of your existence, right? Yeah. And it is coherent, I think. Yeah. I don't think they're like, it's like inconsistent or anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it it actually makes sense. They somehow managed to stitch these two opposing views together to be a truly balanced take. Yeah. Yeah. So, so actually what I also found kind of interesting about the Jedi is like, so if the Jedi are like Buddhists, the Jedi are like Taoists or Confucianists where it's uh where they you know like the the yin and yin yang, yang yeah. right like which incidentally is associated with the tao which is zesh's real name <laughs> it's so subtle yeah that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right exactly which means soul yeah which i think that's probably what it's Dao's a taoist a, concept yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly <laughs> yeah so um it's almost like they had an influence <laughs> in real life religion or yeah. something <laughs> Yeah, so uh, which I'm actually I'm actually a big fan of Taoism. I've um, I've I've read I've read the book and uh, um, some of the writings, and I think it's like just it it it, it literally kind of reads almost some of it's a little wacky, but a lot of yeah. it just reads like self help for like three thousand BC or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I think maybe I just kind of have like a natural affinity for this story because of that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. So, okay. I wanted to get a little more into some of the more, I don't know, interesting history of this because like it, it sort of opens the door to like tens of thousands of years, even further back uh than before the the force wars um and before the even the Rakata infinite empire and uh what's interesting there's a very notice on the tho yor there's a very recognizable insignia on them which 25,000 years later would be used by palpatine's empire so the imperial insignia is yeah. actually on the Thoyor. So what what is that from, you ask? <laughs> uh the um one of the original Thoyors that was discovered was discovered by this order called the Dai Bendu. And they were monks on a planet. I don't even think they had space travel, these monks. Um, I could be wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong about the Dai Bendu monks. Anyways, uh, this was their original insignia, and I guess they had placed it on one of the Thoyor, and and that's how this Thoyor has like the imperial insignia. So how so? Why does the Empire twenty five thousand years later have this insignia? Well, from what I read, is Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> had um in his possession a number of ancient Dai Bendu scripts or yeah scripts I think it was and so probably I'm guessing uh whatever influenced him influenced Palpatine and Palpatine had some sort of knowledge of these Dai Bendu monks and must have uh I'm guessing did he did this influence him to make this insignia and like what was the doctrines that he was or the symbolism he was trying to get across, you know? 
I don't know, Christian, are you familiar much with the Imperial insignia? Um, not like not off the top of my head. Um, I just know it bears like striking res- similarities with the sigil of the Republic. It just yeah. isn't based on the number of spokes. on the Oh, wheel. okay, okay. And I don't know what their relation is. We'll have to do an episode probably like on symbolism of Star Wars because there's cool stuff even, but like the rebellion and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so maybe, well, so the Republic had a similar, sim- very similar oh, okay. symbol. Yeah, um, I think it just has fewer spoke. The oh, Imperial okay. symbol just has fewer spokes. And again, I, just off the top of my head, I can't remember what their relation is. Like, obviously, the Empire coming from the Republic might bear some similar symbolism. Um, but yes, the the sigil on the Thulior is the Imperial version. So I'm not sure how it evolves to the Republic yeah. version and then revolves back. Well, I do know that the, the, the die, what I did read is that the Dai Bendu somehow influenced the Jedi Order, even like from very, the shadows. Yeah, even very early on. Conspiracy. No, 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 not not like that. <laughs> Just like in terms of um um their teachings, they, yeah, and their history teachings and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and again, uh, it, it's like these Dai Bendu monks, I want to know more about them. But then also Plagius had like the these the, these writings of them, these very secret writings of them that yeah. influenced him, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I find that kind of stuff, like, super fascinating. Like, even in real life, I find that stuff, like, super ancient stuff that is questions that are, like, so hard to answer and there's not really, like, a good Clean, explanation. archaeological. Yeah. Like, like one, one era of history I've been fascinated with recently is the Bronze Age collapse. Yes. Have you read much yeah, about oh yeah, this? So okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's so fascinating. You know, like what happened, the Sea Peoples. Yeah, the sudden dark age. Yeah. It, it, it's so strange, you know, yeah. and, and so um, inexplicable. But uh, uh, like over time, it's similar. Like the the Dark Ages are a misnomer. They were called the Dark Ages because we in the present didn't have a clean view of what happened in that time period. Everything just went dark for whatever reason. Archaeologically, we just didn't have the information. Okay. Um, and as of late, people are even hesitant to call it the Dark Ages anymore because we've discovered so much since right. then. Um, so by that same like logic, it, it's presumable to think that like over time we may make discoveries and things about the Bronze Age collapse, which isn't to say it didn't happen. We know this happened and we know that the sea peoples you know there's a bunch of theories already floating and there's awesome documentaries on youtube and stuff you can look up yeah uh you know about what caused it and why um yeah. which all of which like are sound yeah um, yeah and, and i just think over time we will discover more yeah it, to it but and not not to turn this into a history podcast but <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe people would be interested in looking this up too um there's also a good pot a podcast that I just I heard about first heard about this on and then started reading more about it was um it's just called the fall uh the falls or what was it called the uh, I think it's called the fall of civilization podcast and they just go over a whole bunch of civilizations that sort of just disappeared and yeah they're very hard to explain. of which there are many yeah there's a lot always it, good to it, remember <laughs> when you get too arrogant about your society <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> You're it's not true unique. right. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, it seems every society has like an expiration date, right? Yeah. And and like yeah, it's good to be aware of that. But but there there was a 
there was a volcanic eruption in Iceland. They think it's it, it was roughly around the time of um, of uh, the Bronze Age collapse, because actually a couple other civilizations seem to have collapsed near around the same time. Because and this was like <clears throat> a super volcano eruption. Okay. And they think the one of the theories is, and again, it's just a theory, is that um, <clears throat> the uh, um, the ash like just covered the sky and probably caused famine for quite a few years yeah. and then forced, <clears throat> especially it, people in Northern climates forced themselves to migrate. South, yeah, yeah. To, to migrate. South. Which had these big knock on effects of like people being displaced, exactly. going to war. The, and that's one of the suspicions of the sea peoples is why they started invading, all of a sudden. Invading. Yeah. Out of nowhere is because they were probably being for, and a similar story, like with the Vikings, even like the Vikings just, a lot of the reasons they were like invading um, uh, uh, the UK and Normandy and all those places is just they didn't have enough food in in their own region, right? So like there is a big incentive. <laughs> like you don't agree with that? I have I have issues with simpler readings of history. Well, I'm not no, saying well, no, no, I'm, I'm not a historian, <laughs> and I like to take in multiple sources usually. <laughs> Um, and there are, you know, you have archaeologists so like that kind of becomes their pet theory and they yeah. kind of like will do everything to manipulate the evidence to support that theory. Sure. Um, but if you think like pre-modern technology in a northern climate and if your population starts yeah, growing but to, also, a certain, to a certain extent, you, you know that there's going to be like huge food insecurity and that's yeah. going like, to. And I'm not denying that those are triggers for conflict, but there, you always got to consider too like cultural context right like you have a pillaging society like yeah. pi pillaging is is uh, a pillar of viking society right and same yeah. with the sea peoples like they were already warlike yeah this wasn't an accident like typically you're not going to take a farmer starve him and then arm him with weapons and suddenly he's a warrior culture right no now yeah, could yeah, that be the yeah. foundations for one absolutely but, no, but, uh, but like the sea peoples were like it's similar to Vikings. Yeah, they were seafaring. Of, yeah. They like came, they started raiding out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah. Like these very established, like the Egyptians, like very But that was like the kind powerful. of the yeah, the point I was kind of making is like they are similar to, to Vikings. However, yeah. there is some evidence that the Egyptians had actually some contact with these people. And it was like it wasn't all like violent. It, some of it they even had some trade relationships with them and they had names for them. Um, I can't remember. They're like really hard to pronounce, but uh, allegedly yeah. a few years for a few years this happened. But then I don't know, like what happened. Like uh, it Relations ended up, it, yeah, it, it ended up breaking down and went violent, and they, they yeah. And that's the other thing is how much we don't know. How yeah, for all the artifacts that we can recover, how much are we missing? Yeah, it's so that's it, my other case. It's so uh, cloudy his, yeah. the history of it, right? Like all of it is kind of like this is our best guess. Yeah, we, from the fragments we've recovered, like we're kind of assembling a theory, but like another fragment we discover in ten years could totally upend it, right? Yeah, so. but to me, like I find that so fascinating and. If you're like a fiction writer or something, right? Yeah, that there's creates so much a perfect material. hole for you to yeah, fill. Exactly. Chariots of the Gods, for example. Yeah. Which I absolutely <laughs> abhor, but it's fun fiction. Yeah. But I wouldn't go much farther than that with it. Fair enough. But, but you know, and <laughs> swinging back around to Star Wars, you know, <laughs> like I, there's a lot of interesting, like, 
very little, not very heavily explained uh, histories and and um, events that you could definitely write tons of stuff inside yeah. of. You know, so I think that that's what I like most about sort of going this far back in the Star Wars universe and and uh, uh, sort of wondering what it was like before everything that we know now. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, and just like a real world kind of point on the on the Daibendu monks. Um, I, and I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but like in real life, that was Lucas's whole shtick for Star Wars was that like Star Wars was a story that was in these Daibendu scrolls. And like, so this order of monks were writing down this yeah. ancient history. And like through our discovery of those scrolls, we know the story of Star Wars. Right. So it's kind of cool how it has that real life kind of explanation. Lucas dropped that idea altogether, mm. but all these other artists and like um, novelists yeah, they, picked they it up picked again. It up, yeah. And this oh. happens a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll take a discarded Lucas idea. Yeah. yeah. And then just like totally take it. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, Tython is getting some more love in, uh, in the Mandalorian. We visit Tython now. So, Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah. 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 So it, though totally it may not, about yeah, that episode, though it yeah. may not be the same. Like it's cool to see yeah, people yeah, like Dave yeah. Filoni who know the history of Star Wars. Yeah, like, yeah. Trying to resurrect these cool concepts. Um, kind of cool, funny thing. Um, on the terms Ashla. Uh, okay. For the light. Well, it's not really funny, but it's just uh interesting. Is there's a Jedi, a uh, not a Twilight. Uh, forget the species ahsoka's species oh yeah i don't i don't know what her species it's like is. on the tip of my tongue anyways um there's one prominent one named in the knights of the old republic rpg mmo um, oh, okay who is named ashla light which yeah, is okay. just a cool like yeah. through line that they're you know reusing that right and then there's another targutan targutan okay yeah targuta I don't know how to pronounce it, but you know what I'm saying. If you're, <laughs> you know what the species. Um, and then there's another little girl who appears in Attack of the Clones when all the little younglings are like with Yoda, and she's a Torguda, and she she's named Ashla too. Oh, so is that's, she? Yeah, okay. that's cool. People thought it was Ahsoka, but oh, okay, they've yeah. definitively kiboshed that uh, <laughs> that theory. But yeah, and they called they called Ahsoka Ashla in development. While they were developing it too, so I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if that was always the intent. Like she was always going to be Ashla, and then they just changed it last minute. Or see, I I I love that. Like even if you're looking at like an anthropological perspective, yeah. If you you trace a word far back enough, it it probably had some religious connotations. Significance, yeah. yeah. And that like how many of our names are religiously exactly? My name is very religious, obviously. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's a cool through line that kind of just developed naturally yeah. in the course of all these different authors and stuff writing it. Yeah. And the other kind of, this one is funny, but Bogan being the, uh, the dark side for all our Australian and New Zealand listeners, Bogans are kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm not an expert in any means by <laughs> on Australian and New Zealand culture, but they know what I'm, what I mean. They're like, it's almost like trailer tra- trash. <laughs> like, yeah. If you're a Bogan and. Okay, I didn't yeah. even know that. It's like lower class, like I think there's, I... there's a, a a personality type associated with being <laughs> called a bogan, and it's not good. It's not a flattering. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional I or hope not it's on not the an author. Explicit word. 
No, it's not. It's not. Maybe they they're more. It's more class. Like, like or, I don't know, but yeah, you've never heard anyone in Australian. Call I haven't heard that term. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time. Yeah, um, it's yeah. Like I said, it's more class based than anything else. Okay. So, but it's uh, for all our listeners there. We didn't miss it. <laughs> for all our Aussies. Yeah, out there. and again, I don't know if any of the authors of of uh, of the comic were maybe New Zealander or Australian that maybe slipped it in there. But. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, on that note, uh, let's uh, fly out of here. Peace.